0: and welcome to the brand new OffWestEnd.com podcast. This is a very new venture from OffWestEnd.com. We're going to provide a regular hour of theatre chat, recommendations of shows that are on now, previews of shows that are coming up, and interviews with top guests. Later on, we've got Mike Shepard and Carl Gross from Nihai here to talk to us, talking about Nihai's Ubu, a sing-along satire, which opens at Shoreditch Town Hall on Wednesday, the 4th of December. Looking forward to that. So this is the first podcast in the new series, and the only one that we're going to do this year we're then going to do two podcasts a month from the beginning of 2020. We'd love you to get involved. If you'd like to tell us about a great show you've seen or comment on any of the shows we talk about on the podcast, you can email us on podcastoffwestend.com. We're also looking for new contributors. If you'd like to get involved and become one of my guests here in the studio talking about shows, it's the same email address. That's podcast at offwestend.com. So with me today is uh, self-proclaimed musicals enthusiast, Ross Freeborn. Hello. Uh, Theatre maker and facilitator Callum Hughes. Hello. And we're going to talk about what's out on the Off West End stages. Specifically, we're going to start with things that have been nominated for the Off West End Awards, or the Offies, as they prefer to be known. Uh, Throughout the year, assessors from Off West End head out and see 400 shows on the Off West End stages, which culminates in the annual awards ceremony. This year it's in February. The date hasn't yet to be announced. You can see a full list of the current nominations at offies.london, the website for the awards themselves. There are a huge amount of nominations this year, over 200 already across 30 categories in plays and musicals. There's also categories for opera, children's theatre, and for experimental theatre, which is a personal favourite of mine. Uh, So, what's on that's been nominated? Roz, you've seen Ghost Quartet at the New Boulevard Theatre and that has a whole raft of nominations in the musicals categories. Uh, What did you make of it?
1: Oh, Ghost Quartet was fantastic. It's one of those musicals which is really quite hard to quantify and and describe because it's more like an experience. It um, it doesn't have a, a story arc in the conventional sense. There is a kind of... Thousand One Nights stories that, that thread together, and there are elements in songs and in narrative which sort of link, but it's not in, it's not important. Um, you've got four players who are supremely talented. They can all play instruments, a variety of them, from percussion to mute to uh, piano to cello, and I manage to extract the most extraordinary sounds from them that you'd ever expect. And the show itself is in the round in this new boulevard theater which is on the site of the old raymond review bar in soho it's a fantastic new venue which is designed to be extremely versatile and so with this circus-like feel you are in the round the audience is really inches away from the action and towards the end that with that no no sort of spoiler alert but you will find yourself involved literally in playing and creating the music at the end um it's just sit back and enjoy the ride it's um uh, 90 minutes of something completely sort of subliminal and abstract but um, just don't yes don't expect to to get anything that you might have seen before it really has pushed the whole idea of the musical into a new domain and uh, this is a very interesting place to be so for any enthusiasts for music just just set down your sort of conventional hat and go Oh, this is a new adventure. (laughs) Nice.
0: it's been nominated for pretty much everything. I mean, set, lighting, um, the cast, the director, new musical, musical director. I mean, is there
1: anything that you can pick out from all that that you think it will have a good chance for? Uh, Probably all of them, to be honest. It was so supremely good. The lighting was amazing. A lot of it is in semi-darkness and uh, they've got a, a, a great rig that can sort of pick out little moments when music arrives and then the lighting will come up and you'll see where this music or this voice is coming from. Um, sometimes the, the cast is on the move and it, it manages to, to, to capture them so you get a sort of a, a fleeting sense of, of, of dance and movement. The, sound, um, the that sound design as well because you've got to capture such a variety of instruments and voices as well and, and, and we often don't know what goes on but somebody there was making it uh, easy for us to absorb um, so uh, the performers themselves, four of them, all equally incredibly talented um, who knew that they could do all the things that they do, but they do Nice. Uh, when's that running till? Ghost Quartet is on until the 4th of January nice. 2020
0: Marvelous. <laughs> Sounds amazing uh, Callum, what have you been up to this week?
2: Um, I've seen quite a bit this week um, and I have to say um, a lot of it has been some a really, really nice, um, good, female-driven um, theatre. Um, one I kind of... I was thinking about what to talk about, and one that seemed really, really relevant to me um, was uh, a play called Rage But Hope by Stephanie Martin. Um, she's had pretty success at the Park Theatre and um, is also uh, joining Netflix as one of their uh, stock writers, um, involved in quite a few projects. I so kind of really wanted to watch as an emerging writer. Um, and really affected, um, I was speaking to her and she said she's really affected by the XR climate crisis and so she got involved with them and said, how can I help? I'm a theatre maker, you know, I don't know what to do here and they said, well write a play, so they gave her a bit of space at Summerhall and it had a, a couple days run there at Edinburgh and since then she took the, the kind of play away And has worked on it. And uh, this week, it uh, is unfortunately closing this week tonight um, at the Streatham space. Um, But it is moving on to another London venue, the new year, uh, yet to be confirmed. So watch out for it, Rage But Hope. It's a monologue play. um, And uh, as uh, Martin said herself, sometimes as a playwright, um, you can say a monologue play is kind of cheating um, (laughs) because you can kind of write lots of short episodes. But one thing that really stood out um, is the way in which these monologues were structured and the fact that they spoke to a much bigger uh, diversity that kind of reflected um, the UK. And I think one of the things when we talk about zeitgeisty topics in theatre, like climate crisis, um, is that everyone has a lot of different feelings about it. And we often go as kind of thinking we're kind of you know liberal-minded people um, thinking, oh, well, well, I, you know, I'm i behind this. Yeah, you know, climate change, obviously, it's a good thing. But there were so many aspects of how climate change affects people, different positionalities, that I just simply wouldn't have thought of at all. And I think if a play does that, then that's brilliant, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it was a particularly uh, moving monologue, um, and it featured um, uh, a woman's relationship with her husband, Um uh, looking at the homelessness um, and how the homeless community has kind of joined together with different um, classes of, of protesters, and also looking at who gets to protest—you know, who can afford to take that day off work—and um, where intention meets impact, and really getting into um, the the kind of heightened tensions that we're now living in. And I thought it was really nice to see a play that's so relevant, asking so many different questions. Um, there's also one bit that I won't spoil that. Um, is is one of the best uses of uh, of a particular theatrical device I've ever seen. The execution, um, if uh, anyone knows the term plant in theatre, um, <laughs> that's all I'll say. But it was uh, it's exceptional and wonderful to see an audience so brought in and taken by that.
0: I think you may have spoiled it a little bit there.
2: <laughs>
0: cool. That sounds great. Um, my turn, I guess. Uh, I, this week I've seen uh, an amazing show down at Collab Theatre, which was uh, an immersive show called Crisis. What crisis? This has been nominated for the Offies Idea Award, which is, uh, stands for innovative, devised, experimental, and atypical. Uh, so all the all the weird and wonderful stuff out there. So this is a show by Parabolic Theatre. They did uh, For King and Country, also at Collab, and they also have a, a space uh, a space exploration show called Bridge Command. That Another immersive show running at CoLab at the same time. But Crisis What Crisis is is set in the winter of discontent in 1979. Essentially, you, the audience, are Labour staffers. Uh, You you go into the room and get given jobs to do. The unions are on strike. Rubbish is piling up in, in the streets. And there's a vote of no confidence in two hours' time. So what do you do to help out? Essentially, the whole thing plays out uh, in a sort of game scenario. Audience members immediately get onto phone lines and have to call trade union representatives, talk to conservative politicians and make them promises. And the, uh, the poor people who get assigned to the finance team have to try and balance the books of the country. I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, our group ended up making some pretty radical financial decisions. (laughs) may have sold the Falklands at one point. Um, What it does brilliantly is create an atmosphere. There are people on phones in all corners of the room shouting at presumably actors on the other end of the line. People rushing about in between teams sharing information. And these are all audience members just getting caught up in the urgency of the game. I've seen quite a few of these sort of games slash theatre shows and some of them really don't work and this one really nailed it I thought I think if you work in politics or any sort of high powered high energy job you probably hate this show because it (laughs) would be too much like going to work but anybody else who wants to feel like what it might be to work in parliament for a night on an evening of a crisis uh, it's it's a really really fun time. Uh, There's also lots of jokes in the script there's a there's like a poking fun at the sort of 70s labour stereotypes, you know, the the main guys in a beard and a sort of a bad tie and, you know, a badly fitting suit. Um, and there's a sort of gruff Scottish uh, union representative that comes in, you know, but the, the whole evening is a really fun time. And if you can enthuse an audience like that to become a part of the show, to to get involved, get on the phones and to run around. You're doing it right, I think. So that's on, um, just for another week, that's until the 8th of December. That's at Collab Factory in London Bridge. And uh, the the tickets are £36. And what was it called? Crisis What Crisis. Crisis What Crisis. It's really great. (laughs) Um, What else should we talk about? Um, Roz, you've seen High Fidelity down at the new Turbine Theatre.
1: Yes. One week, two brand new theatres. It's astonishing. Uh, The Turbine is... um, if anyone's been keeping their eye on the Battersea power station, um, it's looking very whizzy with lots of fantastic sort of piazzas and uh, very high and glossy looking apartments. But um, underneath the railway arches is the Turbine Theatre, which has all the credentials of off West End in the sense that it's got lots of sort of visible wiring and pipes and things like that and sort of you know, eco-friendly surfaces everywhere. But it's got a pretty sophisticated kind of rig in there as well. Mm. And yes, on show currently is High Fidelity, which again was showered with offie nominations. They were, ooh, for male performance, the lead is particularly good, a new musical director. It's also the brainchild of um, Paul Taylor Mills, who um, is the new artistic director in this new theatre, so it's a a big deal for him. And I think High Fidelity will be familiar to a lot of people. It was Nick Hornby's best-selling book about this... Loserish kind of owner of a record shop in Holloway Road. It then got uh, Hollywoodized, but was translated to Brooklyn. Uh, it had John Cusack famously in in the lead role. Um, so it's been repatriated mm-hmm. um, as a musical, um, which which works very well. So it's back in Holloway Road, which is where it really should be. Mm-hmm. And and there there is Rob in his space. He's he's sort of just a kind of almost like a an archaeologist in the world of music he's just surrounded by ancient things from all the musical tropes and types that you can imagine and uh, in it he's supported by a, a strange cast of his own of, of friends who just have this sh- sort of shared passion with music but he's also got a girlfriend laura and um he's been bad and laura has dumped him she's gone and so it does follow the kind of story arc of you know girl boy loves girl boy loses girl boy wants to get girl back Mm -hmm. and so that that it's as simple as that but um it's all done in very charming uh, musicality with a a very bouncy enthusiastic cast of ten, five girls five boys who interchange their roles really effectively each person has a moment to shine they have a big number but at the heart of it we we do have Oliver Olsen who's um who plays Rob the lead who really carries the show to some extent because he's there in every show he's the the narrator he's the 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 star turn um and 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 he does a very very good job indeed and uh, i i found it thoroughly engaging and amusing and it uh, had that sort of grungy feel you know that and that, that passion that, that some people have for their music and if they encounter someone who doesn't agree with their particular little world it's sort of Oh, <laughs> could you? That's sort of disgusting. I don't know what you mean, Rose. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know people a bit like that. And uh, it's, uh, so it conjured it very well. So yes, I think a good time was had by all. And the theatre is, is very sweet. It's got nice sort of rack seating, but it had sort of bean bags. And it had a slightly oh, really? sort of nice sort of old school sort of vibe to it. And, and of course, the set, which was very effective as well, was just plastered with, them. Um, Vinyl records in used in every capacity. So yeah, a good, a good, good time. That that's on until the 11th of December. So you've got to sort of catch it while you can. But very good. Great.
2: Mm-hmm. I have to say, I'm i really, um, mm. really want to go and see this good. because I'm a huge yeah. fan of the film when it came out. Yeah. I was quite young, and um, I was. Immersed in music and playing in bands and um, constantly, you know, have you got that album going round to each other's houses? What did you think? Um, And it gave me the term professional appreciator uh, (laughs) from from Nick Hornby's book uh, uh, and then the film. And just the other day, my friend was saying, ah, yeah, well, you're looking at that from the perspective of a professional appreciator. (laughs) Um, And I thought, oh, that kind of explains a lot. Um, (laughs) But that kind of ability to geek out um, and get so impassioned about things. it means
1: so much. And the possession of things as well. He Mm. has this collection of, you know, small records which are just his pride and joy, which... um, you know, people want to get their hands on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's...
0: I still remember the, the mixtape rules, which were um, yes. ah, yeah. you have to start with an amazing song and then follow it with an even better song. Like, mm. so, whenever uh, I'm making yeah. compilations now, I still think about the rule from... from the art productive.
1: form, yes, he starts off with that, which is very good. And, and it's
2: original music, isn't it? Um,
1: it r- is, yes. Because um,
2: the, the film's got a great soundtrack, obviously, yeah Yes, Tom, Tom,
1: Tom Kitt, the composer, and the lyrics were by um, Amanda Green. And then to bring it back to London... Um, the, the team invited Vicky Stone, who's a sort of London-based comedian, to just sort of, yes to, to repatriate it, and she she just brought it a little bit more up to date.
0: Great, sounds fantastic. Uh, Callum, what else have you seen? Um, uh, recently uh, again
2: talking about kind of female powerhouses of theatre, um, uh, Frankie Thompson. If you don't know that name, you will do uh, at some point. Um, I'm astounded by this woman's work. I recently saw her um, show for Brooker. Um, which I'm informed means consumer in Danish um, and it's a wonderful uh, hour-long piece um, looking at the world of advertising and the way in which we consume things um, almost entirely in silence it's um, a mixture of very very high quality clown um, with a little bit of slapstick comedy um, and um, almost elements of burlesque at some point as well um, Really, really rare to see um, uh, such a kind of a young um, energy um, and viewpoint through this art form. And I was really kind of excited because I don't know about you, but often when people say, oh, it's a clown piece or it's a, you know, it's a particularly avant-garde, you kind of go, oh, OK, OK, then. Yeah. but You're never quite sure <laughs> if it's going to land and especially not for an hour. You know, often clowning, we know, works in 15, 20 minute cabaret slots, but it's not something that necessarily can hold your attention. And I think Frankie Thompson really, really nailed this. Um, And so I I would also uh, recommend, um, if you don't catch Fallbrook when it comes uh, back, um, because I don't know if it's going to be returning to Soho, you can see uh, two brand new shows that she's uh, developing uh, at the Camden People's Theatre. One is called Weather Weather. Um, which is uh, a a look at how we um, have a very British tradition of talking about the weather (laughs) in small talk um, without necessarily addressing climate. And I suppose that's also a little bit zeitgeisty. And another one called Space on the 12th of March, also at Camden People's Theatre, which Frankie describes as a one-woman multimedia miniature circus. Um, I would also just like to emphasise... just how young Frankie is. I didn't realise um, that she would only graduated drama school uh, two weeks before she went to Edinburgh with this first successful right. run, wow. uh, which I think is outrageous personally uh, <laughs> to be that talented. But it speaks to a, uh, a wider thing. Um, and one thing you definitely uh, should check out if you're a fan of new, fresh voices is Soho Rising. When I saw Frankie Thompson, it was as a result of Soho Rising, which is the whole of November and leading into bits of December, um, happens every year <clears throat> where Soho uh, Theatre hosts a bunch of the brightest new Soho Theatre Labs voices um, where they take young talent um, and support it through guidance of how to produce, how to write, different workshops uh, over a fortnight season. Um, and so you get to see some of the best emerging companies of young people. some really brave new writing. Nice.
0: Sound. Sounds yeah. great. Um, I. I want to talk about a show I've seen as well, uh, which is Souvenir, which is uh, another immersive show. That seems to be my thing recently. Uh, Souvenir, which is by a company called Anyone One Thing. They uh, previously did a show called Recollection, which was uh, set uh, based in London Bridge, um, which started outside and then ended up in what used to be the nursery theatre um, here. And that did some interesting stuff, including pre uh, before the show trawling the audience's social media profiles and then using that information as part of the show <laughs> which is pretty horrific um so this new show souvenir has a sort of similarly black mirror-ish edge to it so essentially you're invited to a surprise 30th birthday party you don't know what's going to happen you just turn up at a flat the company uses a different flat in london every time and so these are just submitted by ordinary people that like you can we can go on their website and volunteer your flat to be used for the show for an evening which is a really fun idea so you turn up at the 30th birthday party you don't know what's going to happen you meet the host they give you a drink they introduce you to other guests um which again i would they did so seamlessly either the company are really really good at remembering names or they've looked you up beforehand because they seem to remember what you did for a living and i mean maybe that was just me like <laughs> overthinking it but it's a really you know sort of slightly awkward you know when you go to a party and you don't know anybody it felt like that or obviously everyone else's audience members as well but you know you sort of make small talk with them and there's a, a good chunk where you're just waiting for things to happen I mean in a sort of good way um and then you have the surprise moment you know this the character is called Anna whose birthday it is it's her 30th and her her partner is uh, called Richard, um, who who welcomes you to the flat. Richard wel- welcomes you in, sets up the surprise. We all jump out, at Anna. She remembers all our names, of course. It's just incredible. Um, I shouldn't go on about that. That's not the whole point of the show. But the problem the problem with the show is that the whole thing is, ba- is based on a twist. Essentially, I can't really talk about it too much about, without giving it away. Um, essentially, we discover that the relationship between Richard and Anna isn't quite what we initially thought um and the, the sort of black mirror ish edge is very very much a, a part of the the show um and as the show goes on we we learn more and more about this thing that's happening and being right there in the room while these revelations unfold is i mean I was absolutely on the edge of my seat you know <laughs> on somebody's nice comfy sofa you know uh in, in this uh in this very swanky flat that we had the show in i I, I realise I should have picked something else to talk about now because I actually can't tell you anything that happens. <laughs> Without spoiling. <laughs> it. Without spoiling But it. how
1: many people can come to this? Oh, m-
0: maybe about 20, I guess, this were there. It's very
1: exclusive.
0: Gosh. It is yeah. It is very exclusive. And they, they you have to sign up to the website and then they send you emails telling you when the next ones are going to be. I think there's two in December uh, coming up, so... I mean, so if we can I've... do a
1: bit of a smooth thing to find out who yes. you are then. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe.
0: Um, I mean, if I've sold that to you with that sort of, uh, <laughs> so half cool. review, then uh, the, yeah. you can find out more at anyonething.com. Uh, tickets, I think, are £34 for that one. Or, indeed, you can volunteer your flat and uh, presumably get a free ticket at that point. <laughs> I, think I was just going to ask, I, I, I,
2: I, both of the shows that you mentioned are quite immersive yeah, yeah. Um, and experimental. As you said, that's kind yeah. of your vibe. and um, and I don't, don't know how you feel about this, Russ, but it does seem to be a lot more immersive theatre happening in London on the fringes. Um, and I've got friends who absolutely love it. I personally get a little bit nervous again. I think it's just because I'm not uptight British man. Yeah. Um. Oh, don't don't talk to me. Yeah. Well, you um, don't want
1: to get involved or. Not really. Not form. unless I'm being
2: paid to do it. Fair um, enough. You <laughs> know. Um. I don't really like getting up and on stage, but um. You're an Why, actor. I, well, yes, yeah, so, yeah. it's fine if you're playing someone else rather than yeah, yeah, yeah. yourself. I you're feel like there's it, yeah. a vulnerability there. Yeah. Um, but I was going to ask you, you both what do you think um, it is about the immersive experience that's so popular at the moment? And even the boulevard, like being in the round and being kind of intimate with the work.
0: It's certainly come, uh, come a long way. I think things like Immersive Gatsby and that sort of thing have, and Secret Cinema, of course, have, have really boosted the popularity yeah, punch of drunk that too. sort of experience. Oh my God. I mean, they've been trailblazers, of course, for a long time, but I think things like Secret Cinema have really opened it up to a much, much wider audience and made it a a sort of night out experience, which, you know, Gatsby, Wolf of Wall Street, that sort of, the War of the Worlds, which is on at the moment, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing, they've really capitalised on that sort of like night out and being in a new world sort of experience thing. I mean... The ones I tend to go to are slightly smaller shows, like Crisis or Crisis and Souvenir. I mean, because my interest is more in what you can do with a small audience theatrically and also how you get people out of their comfort zone. I think that's really interesting. Like it, Because every time you'll have a huge range of people coming who will interact in different ways. Some of whom who won't want to interact at all no. will have been dragged there by their friends. And some <laughs> of whom me. will be really up for it. Yeah, well, exactly. And some of whom who will be really up for it. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. And I always, as a sort of, you know, analysis thing, like to look at how the company are dealing with people who don't want to be involved and how they're making them comfortable or how they're making them interact in small ways or what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's really fascinating.
1: I think we're people, though, As Brits, we've all been brought up on a on pantomime and that sort of you know, oh yes it is, oh no it isn't a <laughs> kind of involvement and I think it's just an extension of that opportunity to sort of have a good go and you know, think back to Shakespeare's theatre in the Globe there would have been a lot of heckling and involvement mm-hmm. so perhaps that was their form of immersive theatre, mm-hmm. we've just sort of updated it a bit to so, say yeah we can give as good as that actor to get
0: <laughs> Well we're going to talk to Nehi um, you're going to hear my interview with Nehi shortly and of course their new show uh, is a sing-along satire of, of the version of King Ubu Um, Alfred Jarry's play and they do that with a you know sort of getting the crowd involved as much as possible physics yeah Yeah, I know
1: about these things
0: (laughs) (laughs) so it'll be really great okay thank you so much for your time we're going to cut now to uh, my interview with Nehi Uh, here it is back. Uh, we're here with uh, two people who don't need any introduction, apart from perhaps a little one. It's uh, Mike Shepard and Carl Gross, joint artistic directors of Nihai Theatre Company, um, responsible for West End and Off West End hits for nearly 40 years. And now you're back with your new sh- show, Nehi's Ubu, a sing-along satire which opens at Shoreditch Town Hall on the th- 4th of December. Thanks for coming in, guys. Ooh, um, thank you. Thank you. For those who don't know Ubu, could you tell us... Uh, a bit about the story and maybe the world that Ubu lives in.
3: Yes, so Ubu or Ubu Wah, King Ubu. It was a play written by a, a fabulous fellow <laughs> called Alfred Jarry, who was um, responsible for kickstarting the surrealist movement, um, uh, and he wrote this uh, very anarchic, uh, controversial uh, play. That was performed in Paris for two nights before it was shut down um in eighteen ninety six and um it tells the story of a of a a, a mad king in his version in our version we he's a mad dictator and is a bit more politically oriented but um yeah he he, he ubu is a as a mad king and him and his wife uh tear around europe and uh sort of kill their way to the top and it's a it's a it's a brilliant satire on Uh, on the abuse of power basically and greed and um, I read it when I was a student and sort of loved it and kept on, in the back of my mind it was always felt like right material for for NEI and um, what were the current uh, you know uh, particular characters in governments around the world uh, you know, it was like yeah this is the time to to tell Ubu again I think and uh, yeah that's what we've done
0: Any particular characteristics of the character that made you feel like now is the right time
3: yeah i mean it's ubu is um obscenely greedy um he's an idiot <laughs> um a fantastic buffoon you know which is fantastic for us you know we we like idiots um and <laughs> uh, and he's power mad you know which is which is great i mean it's so it's it's telling that story and it has uh, we we set it very much in our, in our own world we've updated it a bit and we've also put a lot of uh, we 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 tell the show through sort of get the, the audience singing um with a fantastic neo band uh classic tunes but amongst it all you know, i'm very pleased that we you know we tell alfred jerry's story really yeah so uh you you build it as
0: a as a sing along satire so how much audience interaction is there is there, is
4: the singing along or is there more to it than that it's it's worth saying it it's kind of in reaction to I mean, you mentioned West End and Broadway, and that we need little introduction, that's very nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> but we have toured for a long time, and and we will continue to tour for a long time, and, and this is going to sound slightly controversial, but I personally, as an actor, I, I needed something else from proscenium arches, and people quietly dozing in the <laughs> stalls. And the last big tour I did, I ended up wanting to rip all the stalls out, and go back to having a mosh pit. And it's important to remember that Nehi started not in theatres quite deliberately. So uh, in that old gunpowder work, works in Cornwall or at Restormal Castle, the audience stood. And um, that happened again recently. We won't mention The Globe, but <laughs> while we were at The Globe with Emma Rice and uh, we were doing Tristan and Isolt and and 500 people stood joining in, gives so much energy, uh, they get a much better show, and and we get a much better show. So we took the Tristan and Isolde dais, where we've had standing audiences before, and, and we launched Ubu, and we had mainly a standing audience, and I wanted them to be active. I've always had a big thing about why do we do theatre and, and don't do film? Um, both Carl and I love film, don't we? Mm. Um, secretly, sometimes we think it's better than theatre, don't we? Mm-hmm. That's a secret. So I, I won't say that. Say uh, but we we do theatre because it's live. But how do you keep it alive? Um, and and I wish it was more like sport. I mean, sport is so popular, isn't it? Uh, and and you can pay sixty quid and watch a dreary nil-nil draw. <laughs> but so why do people keep going, as opposed to not necessarily keep going to theatre? And it's because it's live. So Ubu is is very live. It's very in the in the moment, and it has got brilliant scripting from from Carl, but it's also got brilliant improvisation. Charles Hazelwood, who we work with, um, composer and extraordinary conductor, musician, founder of the Power Orchestra, he's always wanted an active, engaged audience, uh, and that audience do sing along and they do drive the action, but um i don't want anybody to think they have to sing along mm-hmm. but we i also saw masayoki in in london and edinburgh uh, and was very moved uh, as i was by taylor Mack, amazing uh performance artist at the barbican where you create this raggedy community because we all need to to actually sing bellow along at the moment so that that kind of Uh, is is why we did the story mad deranged dictators crawling out of the sewers to further themselves before returning to the sewer which felt very relevant an audience that become the proletariat and literally we send them to war they do the ubu olympics (laughs) um and they they drive the action along with as carl said that kicking band Mm. and some ridiculous performances
0: good uh sounds great uh so uh obviously you're on at christmas time i mean if this is people are looking for a christmas show is this going to make them feel uh, warm and fuzzy inside
3: <laughs> uh well be, be, yes yeah, so i think it might do i mean it's not a christmas show per se it's, it's certainly not an antidote an alternative to the usual mm-hmm. um but it is about yeah it's about joining in and i think the thing that surprised us was like mike said you know uh Ubu is the great you know in in these divisive times you know where we all feel like everyone is just being factioned off into their own separate you know spheres and you know on different sides it's this show is really about kind of coming together and by the end i i love it you know that, that the audience has gelled and we're singing as one and it's so it's it, you do get a warm, fuzzy feeling, actually. And we we'll yeah. keep
4: the bar open. That, <laughs> bar open throughout. Warm and fuzzy. We <laughs> yeah. keep the bar open. There are no intervals. You can come and go as you like. You're saying that Ubu has political relevance to the world we live in today. Is that why you
0: decided to do it now?
3: Yeah, definitely one of the reasons, yeah. I mean, certainly the work that me, Mike and Charles Hazel would have been working and creating you know, over the last couple of years. Dead Dog in the Suitcase was our beggar's opera, and... We we turned Gunter Grass's Tin Drum into a into a modern opera. Um, all of those stories, um, I think, for all of us, have a kind of had an urgent need to be told because they reflect, you know, uh, what's happening now. You know, there's, there were lines in the Tin Drum that were kind of like headlines, you know, that I was reading, the, you know, when I was writing it. Do you know what I mean? So it's, there's uh, and Ubu's the same. You know, it really it just captures the madness and the absurdity
4: of the moment, I think. Yeah.
0: So what's the development process like? I know you, you premiered it at the asylum in the summer. How did it first get
4: started? We, we worked very fast. Um, that's the other thing. Um, we worked very fast and very simply. We took the creative team's credits away. So we said, your fellow adventurers, we're going to do this together. Um, and, and we made it in two weeks, uh, with very little, which again was a reaction to um, some of the shows with certainly a much more complicated technical spec. Um, Because again, this comes back to how do you keep it alive? How do you keep it fresh? And quite often when we're touring, you start the week with a a long and lengthy tech where you go through something and you think, yeah, you think, oh, I can feel the life force sapping away. Uh, and then you have to go on stage with uh, great energy and joy de vie. So we made it quickly with vigor and rigor and a lot of fun.
0: Do you have a next project lined up, or is this going to take up your foreseeable future? Uh,
4: we'd like we'd like this to play to alternative festivals um, uh, all over the world. Uh, I, I in particular want us to keep reaching out across the world. But the next national touring show that we do is a marvellous story uh, about a boy called Wagstaff. Wagstaff, the wind-up boy, who's a boy so bad, his parents run away from home and join the circus. And that'll be a show touring for everyone uh, later in the year. And is work underway on that one already?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. we have. We,
4: we put a lot of space in process, so we've, we've done three days on that and found the world of it and design ideas and and the story exists it comes from a, a story written by jan needle uh and carl is already adapting it
0: fantastic sounds
4: great well that's
0: uh ubu a sing-along satire which opens at Shortridge town hall on the 4th of december uh the early bird tickets are on sale for 18 pounds each uh mike and carl thank you so much for your time
3: thank Thanks you <laughs>
0: With The Office coming up early next year, we thought we'd uh, look back at the year and pick out one or two shows that we personally really enjoyed. Rose, what was your pick of the year?
1: I really loved Operation Mincemeat. It was uh, a surprising show, uh, a comedy and a musical based on this very audacious plan in World War Two to confuse the German high command to suggest that the Allied invasion of Europe was going to happen, not where it happened. And... Uh, this, this was all done for real. A, 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 a team, a crack team of uh, disinformation experts who were brilliantly drawn by this uh, four-strong company. They're called Spit Lip, not Split, but they're Spit Lip, and they're <laughs> a wonderful Ed- Edinburgh team. They just came up with this idea for floating a dead body off the coast of Spain, carrying strange messages which would be understood to have all the plans. You think, why make a musical out of that? Well, they with the four of them put together the most fantastic show, which was rollickingly good fun. You absolutely got the story. It had this, this crazy arc. They have got to convince the powers that be to have the budget to do this. They've got to find a corpse. They've got to dress it up. <laughs> They've got to find a hinterland for this officer so that it becomes clear that it's for real. And that that was an opportunity for a particularly moving song done by the sort of older office um, Sort of manager who was invited to write a real love letter, which you knew came from somewhere deep in in her heart, it had nothing to do with this imagined one. So you, it it was full of there was pathos and 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 humour in equal measures, and it was so wonderfully done uh, with original rollicking rock music. It was like um, <laughs> Hamilton meets uh, the history of World War Two by way of pantomime and melodrama. It had fantastic ingredients, and the good news is that um, in fact it's coming back to Off West End. It's at the Southwark Theatre in the new year it's going Southwark to be Playhouse. A, yeah the Southwark Playhouse yeah, yeah. sorry yes um, from um, uh, the 4th to the 11th of January and if um great if you can get tickets it's, and really it's nominated, isn't it? it's, it's nominated fulsomely with them um, yes for best new musical for production director and uh, performance ensemble which really defines and describes what's going on the best
0: great great so you'll be rooting for that one and I will I <laughs> will Cal what what was your pick of the year
2: Um, Oh, there were lots of good fringe shows this year, but I think one that absolutely floored me was um, a show called Call Me Fury. It was the first show I'd seen by Out of the Forest Theatre. It was at the Hope Theatre in Eddington, and one of the last shows programmed by Matthew Parker, Um, who's left, um, to go and pursue uh, other things, which we can also talk about. But Call Me Fury is um, a look at witchcraft. Um, in America and it kind of references The Crucible as you know, one way we look at things um, and it again questions the positionality a little bit of, of Arthur Miller and the way we talked about witchcraft and uh, essentially um, really opens the discussion to the oppression of women throughout ages with, um, with you know, last cases of, of witchcraft um, uh, murder Bit taken case in in two thousand and twelve, you know in London, um, essentially a case of child abuse. Um, so it's really hit home, but also with a wonderful sense of satire, comedy, um, smart humor, and a cracking cast of six uh, acting musician uh, female um, uh, performers. Um, and it was also nominated, of course, for the best performance ensemble um, mm-hmm. uh, award by offwestend.com, com. Quite rightly so. Um, so um, if, you, if you see, look out for this show. But also, I'm really interested to see um, what else out of the Forest Theatre um, come up with. Sasha Wilson, who uh, wrote and direct led this piece uh, of work, is um, obviously got a lot to say, and uh, she does it very, very smartly. So that, that's, that's probably one of my highlights.
0: Right. Uh, for me, uh, it was Islander, which was at the Southwark Playhouse. Uh, for somebody who loves immersive theatre, I don't know what I was doing, a musical, but uh, there it was. Uh, it's set on a Scottish island, uh, about to lose its, you know, it's sort of the public services are winding down. There's so few people on the island that having to decide whether they move the whole community off the island or not. Uh, so there's that sort of interesting sort of public service theme going on. And then a young girl meets a, a whale washed up on the beach, and then meets her, the whale's companion, which is a, a sort of mythical uh, race of creatures who, who swim with the whales and live on a, a mystical island just off this Scottish island in the mist. Uh, and the two form a friendship. And it is, was, for somebody who doesn't really go into fantasy a lot, I just thought it was beautifully played. It's, it's the two actresses, Kirsty Finlay and Bethany Tennick, both incredible actresses. They play the whole village between them. They sing the, the whole... Score uh, with just the two voices and, and loop pedals and it is just gorgeous. That's up for um, New Musical and for Best Director in a Musical at the office and I really think it should have been nominated for more than that. It was an absolutely stunning piece which I hope does come back at some point. OK, so let's talk about uh, what's coming up. Uh, in December and into January, obviously Christmas is coming up so we're going to have a little look at some Christmas shows and some not Christmas shows, uh, to see what's happening uh, in the next couple of weeks. Rose, what have you got?
1: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing 42nd Street at uh, the Gatehouse up in, in Highgate. The Gatehouse, it, it, it's been run by um, John and uh, Katie Plews for the last sort of 30-something years. They have an amazing track record of putting on stonking great off Broadway, Broadway-style musicals. So this one, obviously, Forty Second Street's got it all with the uh, all the the tunes to match as well. And uh, so there'll be a lot of hoofing and tap dancing, and um, yes, it'll be a really good, hopefully, a really good seasonal show. Um, the other thing I'm quite looking forward to seeing will be, again, gosh, back at the Southwark Playhouse. We mm-hmm. seem to be uh, obsessed with this. It's called Potted Panto. Um, so if you just want a fix of all your pantos in one show, this is obviously <laughs> the place to go. That's going to be the 5th of December until the 11th of January, and uh, it was it was set up um, by the Daniel clocks and Jefferson Turner who just decided they were just going to combine them all and put on a great show. I'm sure it will be great for children, for all the family, but it will reference a lot of um, contemporary goings-on, so watch out, I'm sure, for the Brexit jokes.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Callum? Very good. Um, Yeah, there are a couple that um, are on my radar... Um, the Invisible Man, uh, at the Broccoli Jack, starring Matthew Parker, who was the uh, aforementioned uh, artistic director of the Hope Theatre, stepping back into his action sh- uh, acting shoes. Um, expect um, a very kind of 39 steps-ish kind of mad romp uh, through this kind of epic piece um, with lots of um, multi-rolling um, and comedy there. Should be a nice alternative um uh, Christmas treat, something that isn't quite necessarily a traditional show as should be Blood Orange uh, at the Old Red Lion, um, a great story about um, uh, working Christmas at the NHS um, it focuses around a, a dark comedy focusing around Amy, who's um, uh, so a reminder that to those who devote their lives to caring for others, need to be cared for themselves. So a really nice way of looking at that. I'd also push just uh, theatre for young audiences. Um, Sleeping Trees at Battersea Arts Centre and yeah. Goldilocks and the Three Musketeers definitely one to watch out for. Um, slightly eccentric look at uh, kind of traditional uh, Christmas stories.
0: Because they're a sketch comedy group, aren't
2: they? Yes. So uh, yeah, very very funny guys. Uh, they do lots of uh, um, adult comedy as well at Edinburgh. Um, but their Christmas shows and kids' shows uh, get uh, a lot of uh, attention and sell out really quickly. So this year at BAC for the entirety of the festive season.
0: Great. OK, so I'm going to give you a couple of alternative Christmas shows. Uh, firstly, uh, firstly, uh, Joan of Leeds at New Diorama from 3rd to 21st of December. Uh, that's by the new show by Breach Theatre. You might know from It's True, It's True, It's True or The Beanfield. So that's about a 14th century Yorkshire nun uh, called Sister Joan uh, who discovers the pleasure of the flesh? They're doing a, mu- a musical about that for Christmas. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, Shit Theatre, who are who you might know from uh, their Idea nominated show this year, Ship Theatre, Drink, Run with Expats, which is at Soho Theatre. They're apparently doing a scene by scene remake of Love Actually for Christmas. Although it does say asterisk, not really in the notes. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun, knowing their sort of creative take on on uh, popular culture. Um, great, thank you so much for coming down guys we had a, a lot of fun talking about thank things you. yeah. great. Uh, if you'd like to get involved in the show you can email us on any of the things we've talked about today, if you'd like to tell us what your favourite show of the year was, if you'd like to give us a review of a show you've seen, uh, you can email us at podcast.offwestend.com keep an eye on the website for new updates and for new nominations for the offies um, and we'll be back in the new year with a new show uh, thanks very much for listening, this was a Disentangled Production, bye Thank you.